the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Boy, Tyson, we've been talking a lot lately. You know, during this coronavirus, we've, we've been spending a lot of time together. We, we've been talking almost every morning, mostly in the Guild. And I know you love it. You are loving it. This is the best time of your life. Well, I don't know about that, but you know, yesterday I had my first freakout moment where there's just sort of this dread that sort of crept in, and I've been really trying hard to sort of not watch the news and keep things away, but sort of a combination of things just sort of got me into this place. When I got home, my wife looked at my face and she said, "What's wrong?" And, you know, so so this is an emotional roller coaster. It's not all peaches and cream, that's for sure. Yeah, I had this really weird moment where I, I actually was going to go and shoot some videos. I left, I was leaving the office at 4.30, so I was leaving a little bit, little bit early yesterday. And But I always got to give this caveat, I'm the only one at the office, no one else is here. But So I, I was going down to shoot some videos because I am I was hit, I was in a little fender bender about a month and a half ago, and I'm just not just now able to, I feel, I feel comfortable enough going to get an estimate. But I had to get a rental car. Uh, and so I was going to do some videos on the process. And I get into the vehicle and I'm driving and my, like my vision is going bananas. Like I, I, I couldn't see out of my peripherals and there were like these spots and, I'm, and all that was going through my mind was I'm getting coronavirus. It, has, it, it had nothing to do with coronavirus. Like every small little thing, I feel like it's coronavirus. If I've got a sniffle, I'm like, oh my gosh, do I have coronavirus? I don't. But um, it ended up being nothing. I think I just needed some rest yesterday, but, um, it, it's just weird. Like, you're right. Like I, I, I have these freak out moments I don't normally have. And it usually has to do with my health. Well, let's get to our guest. His name's Patrick Colley. He's been a listener to the podcast for a while. He, he recently joined us in the guild. So we're excited about that. He's an elder law attorney in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so Patrick, you've been practicing for about 20 years, and so tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are now. Sure. I've taken sort of a circuitous route. Um, you know, I, I went to law school in the late 90s when the economy was booming, and I, I can tell you that uh, the culture at the time when I went to school was sort of like you were a failure if you didn't go off to a really, really large law firm. Everybody knew what the going salary was and everything and I had enough of a window into what that would look like that I just never wanted to be a part of that. I just wanted to pursue work that I found 
interesting uh, and impactful upon people's lives. So I, you know, I went right out of law school to the state attorney general's office uh, back in Pennsylvania. I, I grew up just outside of Harrisburg and I went to college and law school in the Midwest, but I came back and I was in the civil division where, you know, 26 years old and I'm, I'm defending, you know, section 1983 actions in federal court. I'm, I'm representing corrections officers and state troopers and, and I'm just thrown right into it. And boy, there was a huge difference in salary between my, my law school classmates and, and me, but, you know, I, I was in court and I was, I was loving it. And uh, the longer you stay there, you start defending uh, constitutional challenges to statutes. So well before my time, my colleagues had defended Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And, you know, probably the, the best uh, known case that I handled while I was there was the defense of the voter ID law that our state legislature passed. So it was contentious, but it was really interesting constitutional work. I really got to know state government and how it worked, especially the longer I stayed there and defended statutes, the people over in the legislature said, you know, hey, why don't you just come over here and work for us, help us get it right on the front end. A nice idea in theory. So I went over there and eventually worked for a number of years as counsel to the state Senate Judiciary Committee, where all the legislation dealing with the courts, the criminal justice system, and more to the point, uh, wills, trusts, powers of attorneys, advanced directives, all of that goes through that committee. And so, you know, when you when you work on such a busy committee dealing with impactful issues like that, it's sort of a constant parade of lobbyists coming in to educate you on uh, how you know the wording of a, of a bill is going to affect people in real life. And so I started to learn an awful lot from the lobbyists for the Bar Association, the elder law attorneys, the bankers, etc. And it really got me thinking that, you know, this is really, I mean, I had no idea how people are being impacted by some of this. And I started learning more and more about it. And, and my mind turned to going and uh, serving individual clients uh, affected by these issues. So that brought me to where I am today. Um, I, I looked, you know, at the market, there aren't that many elder law attorneys out there, at least where I am. And so, you know, I ended up joining a practice that was started by a guy and his wife. They lost all four of their parents to Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, you can imagine what going through that is is like. And they were, you know, relatively intelligent people. He, he had a long uh, career in commercial real estate, but he said, look, if it's this hard for me to figure out the right care facility and to figure out, you know, Medicaid benefits for long-term care and uh, estate planning issues, you know, how can most middle-class Americans do it? So he got his law degrees with the specific purpose of starting an elder law firm, and it's been going for about 10 years, and I just joined much more recently. Uh, so so that's that's where I am now. I joined a guy specifically because he, he had that focus of he educates his community. He's really there to help people go through an incredibly stressful experience of having a loved one go into long-term care. His motivations are, are right are right on, and it's just you know it's impactful work. So um, so that's that's where I am today, and that's how I got there. And I should tell you that about it seems like about a year ago I started looking for resources on you know how how can I take all the know-how and the substantive uh, information I gathered over such a long career in government and turn it into a private practice. And that's how I found the Maximum Lawyer podcast. And, you know, I found it. I thought, oh, my gosh, what a gem. And, I, and then I realized you've been doing it for a few years and you had this huge following. So I just, you know, every morning getting ready to go to my government law uh, job, I, you know, I'm 
getting dressed, putting on my tie and I, and you two are talking in the background. And, you know, so I, I just one after another. So, you know, all your early episodes, y'all, I'm hearing all this about Infusionsoft, whatever that is. And then I'm hearing about Dan Kennedy and I'm hearing about, you know, Ben Glass and all these people and concepts I'd never thought about before. And it just started building up, you know, uh, everything that I, it was inspiring and it was, it was educational. And so that's where I am today. And, and, you know, I stay sort of remain committed to doing work that I find interesting and impactful. It's been, you know, what I've done all along. But now I understand that mastering the business side of practicing law is as much my moral obligation as thorough legal research and being prepared for court. The only downside of that is, is that since it's such a, a strong obligation, it's easy to sort of get scatterbrained and to, to not know how to separate the wheat from the chaff, or at least figure out what's most important for my business and what I can sort of deprioritize. So that's where you and, and the following you have amassed has been so incredibly helpful. That's awesome, Patrick. Thanks for that. I'm glad that you found it all helpful. We've certainly enjoyed doing it. So I had the chance to speak. One of our friends of the show here in St. Louis asked me to speak to the local, or I guess it was the state uh, elder law association. And I was asked to come speak about marketing mistakes that lawyers make. And I spoke from the stage. And when I asked sort of what I would call basic questions about, you know, online marketing, about really about tracking where leads come from and, and just keeping track of your leads. I mean, it was a deer in the headlights look. And there weren't a lot of people who were actively marketing or really viewing it as, I mean, obviously everybody always wants more cases, but that no one really seemed to have much of a structure to their marketing. Do you find that sort of in, in viewing the other elder lawyers that you come into contact with? I do. I think that's pretty common, although maybe people are starting to come around now, but there are some elder law attorneys who do it exceptionally well, but, and they become known as the people who just are, are good business people. And it's, I don't know, maybe the assumption is that they just have something that other people don't, but I think it's just a matter of learning uh, the resources available and applying them. But, but I think you're right that most do not. So when I started with the practice that I'm with now, they were doing certain things really, really well. And again, I, I think it's because the guy who started it had a, a background in business. So, you know, the Google AdWords were keyed in so that, you know, our firm comes up at the top every time in our geographic area when you have any number of search terms related to our field and and great relationships for you know dealing with the, the care facilities you know we, we have wonderful relationships with people who work in the facilities the in-home care providers the hospice providers uh funeral directors you know there's regular sort of coffee and breakfast meetings that they would all come to in our office so there were certain things in place that were just outstanding but you know through listening to this podcast and then others that I found because of it, you know, they weren't doing videos and none of the competitors in my area are doing videos. So one of the first things I started doing was recording helpful videos and putting them on the YouTube page and then promoting them on social media. So I, I would say that, you know, that's just easy. It's, it's cheap. It's, um, and, it, and it's just something that, that doesn't occur to a lot of elder law attorneys. Maybe, you know, and I don't know, it could be too, because look, there are people who, are going to need long-term care. They know that it's way over their heads and they're just going to find an elder law attorney. So maybe the work just comes, but I think that uh, as, the, as this area of practice grows because of the aging population generally, 
I think competition could could drive more people to to figure out that there are things that they can do online uh, that just make a lot of sense. So, Patrick, I'm just curious with COVID-19 going on, uh, how are you all treating things and, and specifically, how are you treating things from a marketing standpoint? Because I've seen a lot of different industries and practice areas treated completely different. So how are you all handling it? We're staying true to the, the mission of educating the public first. So I'm continuing to make videos. We're going to resume our regular meetings with the care providers and, and that whole team of professionals that are out there at the various facilities uh, through uh, a webinar software. And we're going to resume sort of uh, the regular um, uh, sort of question and answer sessions we would do with the public on, on whatever they want to come in and ask questions about. So, you know, we'll, we'll overcome that hurdle that way. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that the, the, that the remote working really hampers our marketing in any way. We're, you know, we continue to, to remain uh, focused on getting the word out about, you know, resources that are available for people. Maybe there's a little bit less of a personal touch, but I don't think so. And, and my only concern is that there are folks who just aren't comfortable with technology on the other end, you know, and I think some lawyers listening to this podcast have clients who are at least as savvy with technology as the lawyer is. That's not always the case with, with an elder law clientele. And, and you know, some of the, the people who actually initiate the, the representation are the children of the people going into a, a long-term care setting. So it's not, you know, always the case that you're dealing with somebody in their 80s or 90s who, who doesn't have a Facebook page and doesn't have email or whatever. So for the most part, I think it's, it's business as usual. The bigger pro- problems for us are actually completing work because you need to have certain documents notarized. And in Pennsylvania, at least for the time being, that means having someone physically in the presence of a notary. It means having witnesses physically present. That's something we're obviously trying to avoid. And and even with pending legislation to change that, then there's the debate about whether, you know, whether we even should do that and put people at risk. I mean, since we, we don't want to be the cross pollinators of the virus, since we deal with professionals who go into the the facilities, and then we deal with the, the clients coming in. You know, we don't want to be responsible for for uh, spreading this. We want to do the right thing. So I'd say the marketing continues. We're doing all the things we would normally do, but I think that then at some point we need to meet with people in person. And I don't know. Time will tell how that goes. So that that raises a good point. Have you have you sat down to try to figure out who the people are that know? people going into the scenario. I do think a lot of it comes from the, the younger children, the children of the older people, but have you sort of categorized the types of people that interact with seniors or the people that might need elder law assistance? Not in any systematic way. And this is where I start to look at all of the competing theories out there. And, and God knows there's, you know, 47 vendors for, uh, you know, every aspect of, of what we do. And, you know, I hear ideas about, you know, on the one hand, there's the, you know, traffic and funnels guys who say, you know, go out and, uh, you know, look at the Facebook pages of your avatar client and, you know, look at the kind of movies they like to watch and look at, you know, the sports teams they like, and then that drives your ad copy and then set up a landing page and really just target those people in a, in a sort of hyper-focused way. I've, I've done nothing even close to that. And I don't know whether I should or not. I'm sure if we looked at the data that we keep on, you know, from our intake, I could probably figure out the age range of the 
child who contacts us, and sometimes it's a spouse. So, it, you know, right there, it could be anybody from their early 40s to their early 80s who's calling us because either a parent or a spouse is, you know, just got a dementia diagnosis and they're going to need to do some planning. So I could get that much data about them. I can get geographic locations, but it's really going to run the gamut. You know, really the only people who don't come and see us are the super wealthy who can afford to private pay to the tune of ten dollars to $12,000 every month for, for skilled nursing care. And we're not targeting those people. But, you know, geographically, that doesn't really help us a whole lot, um, I don't think. So there are ways, there are certain data that I think we have that I haven't looked at and that I know my firm is not looking at. Um, but I, I don't even know where to go from there. It's, you know, I guess it's a, 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 an option, but I don't know how far to go with that information. All right. So, Patrick, I'm going to ask you, um, a, I think, a difficult question just because I I know that you don't do quarterly and yearly goals. And I'm going to I'm going to force you to think about this. So what if you're looking, you know, a, a few months into the future, you know, what is it that you want to focus on to move the ball forward to improve your practice? That's a question I spend actually a lot of time thinking about. You know, I sort of divide it up. You know, I'm always going to be reading more on substantive law to make sure that I understand everything and so I'm prepared. But I, I know that I'm going to be taking, I am the succession plan for this firm. I am going to be taking over at some point. So I need to learn a lot more about basic accounting. I want to continue to sort of figure out best practices in marketing. And I think that, you know, the, the, the question from Jim earlier uh, highlights, you know, getting to know my clients on a granular level so that I can make sure I understand the population that needs our services. We're talking with Patrick Colley. We're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms, trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. At my immigration practice, the Hacking Law Practice, Smith's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish, screen and schedule new leads, and even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations by phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100, that's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by, try Smith AI. Patrick, so my mother-in-law went into kidney failure last fall, and my wife and I were left in the very common experience of trying to find a lawyer. And it was so interesting for me to go through the process in another practice area in another area of law that I know nothing about. And, and it was just like you said, there are people in town who are known as the go-to person for elder lawyers. And then there's sort of a second tier of people. But I have to tell you, we had a really hard time trying to figure out who to work with. And, and it was interesting because 
my mother-in-law was sort of in an extreme situation because she had to move from Chicago to St. Louis, which meant she changed from one state Medicare or Medicaid to another. She had a piece of property that we needed to get rid of. And there were all kinds of these moving parts. And so it was so interesting to be viewing it from the perspective of a client as opposed to from a lawyer. And, and I think that there were sort of lessons along the way about follow-up and about how hard it was to get a hold of the attorney. And then once they hi- once we hired them, how hard it was to get them to do to do get the work completed. So it was just a total mindset shift for me. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I just wanted to sort of say that and to sort of you know, offer that to you as a, you know, a lesson or a, a, a message for you. And, and think about that. If you had a hard time sort of separating out who the, the really good elder law attorneys are from the ones who are sort of dabbling and practicing in other areas, imagine the general public. And I, I think that's, that's a problem for uh, the, the consumer clientele generally is that they just, you know, they know there are lawyers. They they might even know there are lawyers who specialize in particular areas, but they don't know anybody who is a lawyer or who has you know dealt with a lawyer. So it's it's them with Google these days. And you know I, I don't know. I, I think that's exactly where I've gotten value from the podcast and from the ideas I get from other people about the, you know doing the videos. Just because it starts to establish that trust and it and it's a way to demonstrate that you know there are uh, there are ideas that I'm willing to just give to you because you need to know them and it's a way to show sincere care for the people and understanding of the stress that they're going through you raise a good point too about you know the follow up i know that there are uh, best practices that i'm probably not following right now like the you know you, you the two of you talk about the the before unit the during unit the after unit you know my follow up with with clients i've finished work for probably could use some work, you know, even just, uh, you know, sending, I don't know, just checking on their well-being, asking for a Google review, asking for constructive feedback, you know, you know what did we do well, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm not really doing much of that the way that I probably should, because it's so easy to get busy. And I think, you know, all of us get busy in our respective practice areas, but that, that sort of staying grounded in why you're doing what you're doing reminds you these are real people in real lives and you know it's just it's not just a file and you do need to, to stop and, and uh, take stock of that from time to time. So Patrick you actually mentioned the videos and I, I want to ask you about this because there's a lot of people that are so hesitant to get into video. Um, did you have that feeling and do you still have that feeling now that you've shot some videos? I never did have any reluctance to do it. I just thought it was such a great idea um, you know, I hate the sound of my voice. I, I don't know. I, I didn't think I had the right setup. I've, I've heard about people who do the green screens. I've seen, you know, other lawyers in, in the maximum lawyer community do their videos and they look so much better. Some of them even have some insert images and all this stuff. And I've seen you comment to people. Yeah, that's nice down the road, but just hit record and, and just keep doing it and keep doing it. And I don't know. I've always felt comfortable in a public speaking role. And, um, you know, some of the best advice I ever got early in my career when the butterflies would get going, get all self-conscious in front of a jury, and I, you know, I'd be stumbling over my words, you know, somebody said to me, look, this is more important than you. So stop thinking about how you look and how you sound and, and just, you know, do the work that's more important than you. It's bigger than you. And that, you know, that, that's a good way to realign the priorities and, and to just get down to the work. So, Maybe that's why I just never had any hesitation. I do think that my videos could use some improvement, but 
since none of my competition is doing anything in that way, then, you know, I guess it's better than nothing. So I'll keep doing that and hopefully it will improve over time. That's awesome. And that's exactly the right mindset. I love that you started and that you're doing it. That's, that's great, Patrick. So how are you using this downtime, the downtime of the coronavirus and, you know, having the team split up and not being able to go into the office every day? How are you handling things now? What are you focused on? I, I try to split the time between actual client work that, that we had in the pipeline before and just keeping in touch with those clients, letting them know that there are obstacles to completing the work that we have. We're doing the best we can. Of course, everybody's understanding of that so far, you know, because they're adapting to things in their own lives because of this. So I do the client work. I set aside time to um, to just read, you know, things on the substantive law, just to keep up with things, to, you know, fine tune my skills. And I work on, you know, ideas for marketing. And, and I think it's the last category where I, I start to get a little crazy. And, you know, I, when you started the, the guild, I, I, the first thing I posted was uncharacteristic for me and, and I apologize, but I just sort of came out of the gate with everything that was exploding in my head at the time you were encouraging people to come into this specialized group. And I thought, well, what an opportunity. So I just sort of let everything come out. <laughs> Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Should I be doing this? And it was reflective of just, I think, what a lot of people might be feeling right now, that it's downtime. We're all thinking, is there something more I should be doing just to make sure that I get through this at least as strong as I went into it? Um, you know, everybody wants to survive what's going on. And, you know, it's normally my style to come into a group like that and, and listen and get a feel for the conversation and, and provide responses rather than telling people what I need. But I don't know. It was just what was on my my mind. So. I guess the the third category of how I spend my time, you know, in addition to making the videos, um, you know, I've been I've been thinking about all these things I could be doing that I've heard people talking about, and I'm just trying to figure out what are the priorities. What do I really need to do? Am I just freaking myself out? And along the way, I, I have gotten some ideas that I think are viable and e easy enough, low cost enough. Uh, thanks to the two of you and, and the community you've built, I just had a great conversation with. Uh, Mo Lilienthal, and he brought up uh, Bernard Nomberg, and that had to do with the the interviews they're doing because I I had thought a while back about maybe a podcast is another way to sort of educate the community, and you know they're doing it essentially that, but they're doing it through Facebook Live, and and that's a good way to engage the community and just you know I think provide that that sense of connection that people are longing for when they're all cooped up in their houses. So that's probably something I'll start pursuing a little bit more. But so, you know, I, I focus on the substance, I, I focus on the clients, and then I go crazy <laughs> trying to figure out what more I should be doing. All right. That's really good stuff. I do need to wrap things up. Before we do, I want to remind everyone, go to the Facebook group, check us out there. Um, also, if you're interested in the Guild, the Guild is still open for now. And so reach out to us. Um, you go to MaximumWarrior.com to join the Guild. Um, a, lot of, a lot of great activity going on there as well. Uh, we're doing more specialized trainings in the guild. So it's, I think people are getting a lot out of it. Hopefully people are getting a lot out of it. So Patrick and, and people like Patrick can tell you more about that. Um, Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? Patrick mentioned one of my favorite marketing sources, and that's Dan Kennedy. Ben Glass mentioned him too when he was on the show. And Dan Kennedy is an acquired taste, so there's not everything for not everyone's going to like Dan Kennedy. He, he's strongly opinionated. He loves Donald Trump, so you got to be ready for all that stuff. But if you can get your hands on magnetic marketing, 
and I think they're making it more accessible now. You know, Dan was sick last year and he's sort of on the mend and he's allegedly going to be coming back in some form at GKIC or the successor company. But if you can get your hands on the old magnetic marketing, it's some old school audio. It sounds real rinky dink and it, it's sort of cheesy, but there's so many great marketing nuggets in there. I have a copy of it. It's great. Um, I've read it. I've listened to it. It's good, good stuff. So don't, don't forget that there's still a lot of good lessons to be learned in these old school marketing folks. Hey, so so he came out with a book last year called Magnetic Marketing. It, was that just a revamp of his original book? Yeah. Yep. Ah, I wasn't aware of that. So I have to, one of these days I'm going to come and take a look at your book. That's, that's pretty cool. All right, Patrick. So what is your tip or hack of the week for us? I thought about this. Uh, you know, if hacking has a hack and Tyson has a tip, then Patrick has a pointer. And uh, Patrick's pointer of the week is to Love stay it. grounded. It, it, stay grounded in this time of uncertainty by one simple daily discipline. And that's just taking an inventory of your day uh, before you go to sleep. So simple questions like, did I show any uh, selfishness? Was I dishonest? Was I afraid? Uh, was I thinking about myself most of the time? Or was I focused on what other people need and taking action on what other people need? You know, do I need to take uh, responsibility for something or make an apology? And I just think that asking these simple questions about your interactions or how you, you function during the day, when it becomes ingrained in you, you start catching yourself and you, you catch bad thoughts or bad habits before they uh, take root and become a pattern. I love it. That's really good stuff. All right. So my tip is to... Uh, you've probably heard me say this before, step on the gas. But my my the point is, though, the tip is keep marketing now more than ever. You are you have an opportunity where everyone is in front of their screens all day, every single day. So I don't care if you're doing paid advertising like pay-per-click or, or um, Facebook ads or if you're just doing free social media, freaking do it every single day regularly because you have an opportunity now where you're in front of people all the time now it's 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 a very 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 rare opportunity right now so take advantage of it i can tell you from experience pay-per-click the cost is way down and our numbers are way up so what would normally cost us thousands of dollars we're paying for hundreds of dollars it is bananas okay so Step up your marketing. A lot of you may be afraid right now, but you, it's completely normal to be afraid. It's fine. But that doesn't mean you should stop marketing because if you stop marketing, you will be in trouble in a few months, no matter what. So if you're in good shape now and you stop marketing, you're going to be in trouble. If you're in bad shape now and you stop marketing, you're going to be in trouble. Keep marketing. All right. That is my tip of the week. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. I, I learned a lot actually from, from having you on, so I'm glad you came on. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, this was great and a real honor. Thanks, guys. Great call. Thanks, guys. Dr. McGill, see ya. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.